Welcome to Gateway. If you're visiting with us, thanks so much for coming. You've come on an interesting day. There are a lot of interesting days to come to Gateway, but today is especially interesting. Today is going to be something of an experiment. We're going to enter the lab of worship practice this morning. We're going to experiment a little bit with how we worship together as a community. Let me kick us off with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your people gathered this morning, and I am absolutely convinced, God, that none of us are here by accident. I pray that you would knit our hearts to you and to one another through our experience together this morning. We thank you so much for your presence. We've sensed you already, and we love, we want to say to begin this morning, Jesus, we love the way you sneak past our defenses. And you, you capture our hearts, you, you tackle our wills, and you bring us into alignment with you, and sometimes kicking and screaming. And we're so delighted because that's what we were made for. And we ask that today would be another step in that. Father, I pray that today we together would take a step together in worshiping you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Jaria's standing here not just because she's more attractive than I am, but because I'm going to have her say something in a second. She shared something with us before worship this morning in our little prayer time up here on the stage. I'm going to have her share it with you. Before I do, let me review. We are four weeks into a series of lessons that we're calling Renovate. It's about changing our hearts and our lives, changing who we are. And uh, let me give a, a quick 60,000-foot survey we said the second week that growth, growth, which you know, it's almost a synonym for renovate. It's certainly the engine for renovation. Growth in us is the expected. It's even the natural spiritual condition for those of us who have a living connection with God. Growth is natural to those of us who have a living connection with God. We grow as people. And then last week, we began with some big picture assumptions about renovation. Here's what we said. We said, the renovated life starts with the right vision. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're sure to end up, you know, nowhere. I loved it. Later that day, Javen Bell said to me, you know, one of the reasons I think that the vision is so important is part of what happens with the right vision is you know how much you have to tear up. And there are things in our lives that need to be uprooted and torn up and remodeled if we're going to be renovated. And, and you know, Javen gave the example of redoing his bathroom, and if you've got a mold problem, well, then you've got to take it down to the studs. You can't paint it, because if you do, you're going to have a problem again that will show itself again in, in months. So right vision gets us going in the right direction. It also you know, informs us how much really needs to be torn up. Second thing we said was a renovated life is a life in which what God ultimately wants done is done. So we said when God breaks us down and wants to teach us to rely on Him and we lose our job, then what we do is rely on Him because what He wants done is what's done. We don't scramble for plan B and we don't make up stuff and we don't try to do stuff. We are in line with what He wants to happen. And when God wants to teach us something about radical dependence on Him and we get cancer, we're sick with cancer, and we learn radical dependence on Him, we don't grow bitter. When God wants to teach us about deliverance and power and heal us from cancer, then we're healed. 
And we learn about deliverance and power. When what, the renovated life is a life in which what God ultimately wants done is done. And the third thing we said is that a renovated life is a life in which all aspects of our spiritual life are expanding. It's not a point of arrival. It's a growth process. And the renovated life is really a renovating life. It's a life in which God is constantly working. By the power of the Holy Spirit, name of Jesus, we're worked on. We grow in all aspects of our life. And then I took the analogy from my everyday life. I said I stand in different kind of relationships with different people. You know, I'm a, I'm a father, and I'm a husband, and I'm a pastor, and I have different relationships with different kinds of people. So you and I stand in different kinds of relationships. And those relationships are expanding. They're growing. They're improving. That's what a renovated life is, a renovating life. And the first aspect that we focused on last week, just real briefly, we said one of the relationships in which we stand, if we're being renovated, and really the most important relationship, is our relationship with God, the vertical relationship. We said that we're growing up in love and worship of Him. We also tipped our hand in coming weeks we're going to talk about the, the fact that we are growing in toward one another and what that looks like. This morning we're going to combine those two ideas a little bit. And then we also talked about how we're growing out toward people who are far from God in a way that draws them in to a relationship with Him. So, this morning we want to have some worship practice. If you're part of Gateway, it's your sometimes habit to come here on Sunday mornings and gather together like this. So what are we doing and why? I have prayed this week. I'm a little worried about this week because there are a lot of logistics. We're going to swap in and out parts and pieces up here. The band is still up here for a reason. We're going to do some more singing. We're going to practice as we do so. We're going to have choir practice, worship practice. What I've been praying about this week is that I really want us to take a step forward and our understanding, and maybe even our ability to do this together. Because we are not, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Right from the first, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. We are not just a gathered bunch of individual spots radiating around Jesus. There's something different that happens when we come together. You're not just an individual person sitting here with your own experience of what weird guy up front is saying and what worship team is singing. We have come together. And there's a dynamic, there's a responsibility even there. Okay, one other thing I want us to think about is just what an incredible honor and privilege this is. We don't ordinarily think about that on Sunday morning when we're brushing our teeth. But I, I want us to take a moment and think about that. And to set us up for that, Jerry was reading something this morning. What did you read and what did it make you think of, Jerry? Your turn. Um, I'm reading a devotional called My Daily Pursuit by A.W. Tozer. And uh, he was talking about worship and the true blessing of worship is coming into God's presence. And then he went on to expand on that to say, you know, God is as excited for us to come into his presence as we are for him to be in our presence. And I just kind of got this picture of, you know, when I get really excited for somebody to come to my house and visit, I run around, I fluff things, you know, I clean things, I get everything all nice and shiny. And I thought, you know, 
how much more so is God preparing for me to be here and running around and fluffing things and, you know, just getting ready for me to be here and how excited he must be. Thank you, Jerry. I've never thought of God fluffing things before. So what we want to do is we, we want to begin at an unusual point today. We want to start with a word from Jesus that's kind of a rebuke, but it gives us, hinted at this last week, it gives us a, a word about worship in our hearts. So let's do what we sometimes do at Gateway. Let's go old school. If you would stand with me out of reverence for God's word, and I'm going to read Mark chapter 7. This is one of the gospel accounts. This is one of the biographies of Jesus. And I'm going to be reading from the seventh chapter of Mark, and I'll read the first eight verses. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. And the Pharisees were the professional religious guys. who They were the seminary professors or the pastors of the really big churches, and they were... The, you know, they, they got it, they had it all together in most people's eyes. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders, and that's important. They were holding to the tradition of the elders and had elevated it to the stature of right worship practice. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when prophesied about you hypocrites. He's not making friends. As it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of people. You may be seated. Big picture, here's what we learn here. Worship, the act of worship, showing up here on Sunday, for instance, for us, cannot bring people into a right relationship with God. This can't bring us into a right relationship with God. Worship, instead, is an outflow of a right relationship with God. It doesn't bring us to it. It flows out of a right relationship with God. In fact, this is so much the case that humanly devised religion receives God's condemnation. When we're making up some system of our own or when we're following some humanly devised system and thinking that's it, that in fact receives God's condemnation. But when our worship is not a human system, When our worship is according to God's design, then it enables our growth in our relationship with Him. Our worship really does become part of the renovation process. So we get to be renovated when we gathered here on Sunday morning. This is part of the process. When our worship fits God's prescription, then it becomes a vehicle for renovation. He's going to repeat that. When our worship fits God's prescription, then it becomes a vehicle for renovation. Often, you know, the change in us is slow. This morning it may be that really what happens to you is just a couple of drywall screws get added. But when we gather together in God's presence and do it according to His prescription, renovation happens. Example, this is just like when I spend time with Diane in a way that works for Diane. And it works for our relationship. Then we grow closer. 
we don't necessarily grow closer when we're spending time and Jordan and I are watching the Patriots throwing things at the television. That doesn't necessarily work for Diane. It doesn't necessarily make our relationship closer. But when Diane and I spend time in a way that works for her and works for me, we get closer. That's the way it is with worship. So when we follow God's prescription for worship, we actually get closer to Him. And what's God's prescription for worship? We could write a book about this, but let me just give you some bullet points this morning. I think first of all, we'd have to say humble. The psalmist tells us, a broken and a contrite heart you will not refuse. So when we come to Him humbly. Second, I would say, when we worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus was the one that said, listen, a time is coming. It's now come, in fact. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And among other things, one of the things that Jesus meant there is when He said spirit with the deepest parts of ourselves. And in truth, always honest before Him. I'm really who I am, really before Him, and I bring as much as I know of myself to as much as I know of Him. A third thing I think we would say is worship according to God's prescription is with the whole person. That's why Jesus was able to say, look, here's the greatest command. Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. It's all of you. You're all in. Fourth thing I think we would say is worship that is prescribed by God is when we are clean and pure. The psalmist one time in Psalm 24 is asked, hey, who can go up to God's mountain? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. All of those who fit that description, raise their hand, don't raise your hand. We don't fit that description this morning except in Christ we've been forgiven. Listen to this incredible verse. It is intoxicating if you really think about it. Jesus' best friend John says to some of his students, John says, look, you've all sinned. If you think you haven't sinned, you're kidding yourself. If you think you're clean and pure, you're kidding yourself. But here's the deal. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and He's just and He'll forgive us. Wow. And cleanse us from all goofiness and spiritual yuck and muck and emotional damage and distance and anger and depression and worry and He'll cleanse us. Before we go any further, let's take a second. Stand with me if you would. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning with at least a week full, a truckload full of disappointments and hurts and damage and worry. And we've come having pursued our meaning and our purpose and our pleasure in ways that are apart from you. Sometimes in silly ways through distraction or material things or self-promotion or drink or sex and sometimes through more subtle ways. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves, Not consistently. So we stand before you this morning. We ask that you cleanse us and purify us and forgive us. Thank you for your promise that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Did you notice? Did you catch it? God's prescription, and this is consistently true throughout Scripture, and if we added to that list, 
we would add similar types of things. God's prescription is all about attitude. It's all about heart. When the practice of our religion is in concert with that, when we're doing our religion that way, religion is not bad. Humanly devised religion is bad. When we're doing our religion, when we're practicing our religion, when we're practicing our faith, when we're doing church, when we're doing worship, like that, humbly, spirit and truth, whole person, clean and pure, all in, everything. I didn't add that one. All in. Another thing we'd say, all in, everything. That's what the sacrificial system was about. It's about being all in. Don't have time to explain that. But when we're doing it that way, when the practice of religion is in concert with God's prescription, then we're able to experience God and to grow in our love of God and our worship of Him. This is His will for us. This is His prescription. But not just individually. Brings us to today. Corporately. Just read the book of Psalms sometime. The hymns that the people of God have been singing for generations and it, repeatedly there are calls to worship me. All of you come together and sing. Bow before me. Love me together. And the, the, those are corporate languages consistently. We are called to do this. We're called to gather together and do this. So what happens when we gather? I'm going to give you some R's so you can remember it today. Number one, I think we reside. We reside in Him. When we gather, we reside in Him. He's there. Jesus said, look, when two or three of you are together, I'm there. What a weird thing for Jesus to say because He's always there. But He's especially there when we do this. That's why sometimes, sometimes, and you, many of you felt it, sometimes when you come together and do this, something happens in your chest that's different when you're alone. We reside when we come together. It's like hanging out with Him. Think of, if you're a woman this morning, this will be easier for you to relate to, but think about dating a man with children. I mean, to really get a sense of what this is about, you're going to have to spend time hanging out with his children. With him and the children. With the whole family together. That's what we're doing here. We're hanging out with him and the family. We reside. We connect with his presence. I honestly believe that God still today speaks to us directly. The Bible's full of these stories. I have some of my own. I had an illustration here. I'm not going to give it. Uh, not enough time. I think He speaks to us emotionally. I think He stirs us emotionally. He does that sometimes when we're here. We feel something. That's one of the reasons that a centerpiece of our worship time is usually music. Because music is a vehicle for our emotions. Both the delivery and the receiving. I think God speaks through our emotions. Now we have to say sometimes emotions are just emotions. Sometimes it's sentimentality or you know, it's the fruit of some other kind of passion. But sometimes it's God's intervention. I honestly believe God speaks through our minds. Over the course of my life, there have been a number of times when God has literally given me what I've called thought bombs. It feels like an arrow shot into my head. It's a whole thought. It feels like it's something from outside of me. And honestly, I don't always even like it. God speaks in our thoughts. When we're in a corporate setting, when we're here, when we're gathered, we reside and we're in an atmosphere where this kind of thing can happen. When we gather, we reside in Him. Secondly, when we gather, we rehearse. We're rehearsing for heaven. We're going to be spending eternity not in the lame kind of worship that we do here, but in, you know, think Redskins winning the Super Bowl, for those of you who are Redskins fans. Yeah, that's a dream, isn't it? 
we're going to be ecstatic, and it's going to be awesome, and we're rehearsing for that here. We're also rehearsing for our daily life. Hold that point for a second. I asked someone recently, if you're trying to coach someone in uh, throwing a baseball or swinging a bat, and they've got bad habits, you know, what do you do? Can you change that? Well, yes, they have to be coachable, but yes, you can change that. And you change that through instruction, through encouragement, through modeling, and through repetition. This is what we do. And you know what happens? We get here together and we sing songs. We're going to sing a song, Forever Rain. You are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. And you know what happens on Wednesday? When the darkness starts to close in, we've rehearsed, we're prepared. You cannot step up to bat in the seventh inning with two runners on and all the pressure on and two outs and you're two runs behind. You can't step to bat and get coaching right before that that's going to change your swing so that you're more likely to get a hit. You have had to practice all spring in order to make that happen. You've had to rehearse. So when the game is on the line, you will not be able to resist worry or depression or sin or distraction if you have not rehearsed and practiced. That's what this is, this rehearsal. Through teaching songs, conversations with one another, I had a great scripture from Colossians 3. Go read it later. Colossians 3 verses. 15 through 17 is awesome. It talks about us encouraging one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, our teaching, etc. We're in Him. So, and, and here's the deal. We come together like this. We rehearse. We. This isn't a bubble with you and God. It's not you sitting there trying to connect to Him and trying to get rid of all that happened this week. We are together. You have a responsibility to the person that's sitting next to you. If you're sitting in worship and Jordan is up here leading us and the whole time you're like, oh, sitting down. Oh, do you think that's going to encourage anybody around you? Of course not. You can also draw too much attention to yourself. And you know, I wish we were, but let's face it. We are a bunch of upwardly mobile, egg-headed, mostly engineers. So we're not the kind of congregation, really, in worship where we're all going to be going, Woo! That's, not, that's, not, that's never going to be gateway. You could be a little more exuberant. That's not going to be gateway, and it's probably going to be distracting if Terry in one of the songs says, Whoa! Whoa! You go, God! We'll, we'll, we're, all, we're all going to be looking at Terry. We're not going to be thinking about God. Now, if all of us are doing that, it would be fun. It would be awesome. Maybe we'll do that one Sunday. <laughs> we reside. We rehearse. We remember. This is what we do. We remember. You've seen the born identity. You know how freaky difficult it is when he doesn't know who he is. I mean, he's still cool as all get out, and he's Matt Damon, but he doesn't know where he's going. He's got all these skills, and he doesn't know how they fit. That's us. we got stuff in our life we don't know how it fits when we don't remember. And this helps us remember. Every week, this helps us dial in and remember what's really important, what we're really about. We're going to read Psalm 95. Uh, responsibly together. I want you thinking about this as you do it. Stand with me. And let's read Psalm 95. 
I will read the dark and you read the light. I want you thinking the whole giddy up. So let's pause for 30 seconds and for the rest of the day today, I want you to be self-conscious. Not self-conscious as in what are other people thinking about me, but self-conscious in what are you experiencing. So when you're thinking about this and what it is about this that works for you and what doesn't, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. The Lord is great in God, great King of all God. In His hand I was secure, and the mountain is so long to Him. The sea is born to Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. Today, if only you would hear His voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah, as you did that day at Massa, in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For years, you may be seated. So, 30 seconds, this is rhetorical, don't say anything out loud, but I really do want you to say something in your head. What worked about that for you, and why, do you think? What's fascinating about that, what an odd way to end that psalm. Come, let's worship, stole him with music and songs. Hey, don't forget! Don't do like your ancestors did when they totally blew it. And I was upset. And things did not go well. Period. <laughs> you kind of want, but I still love you or something. But, you know, he ends with this heavy note, but it's a note of remembrance. It's a corporate call to remember. And that's what we do here on Sunday mornings, we remember. Okay, we're going to have two elements of worship right now. Justine is going to read Psalm 42 for us, which is a ridiculously cool psalm. And Justine has that accent, and she's cute, so it's awesome. And then Alex York is going to come up and do a directed prayer for us. Once again, I want you to be self-conscious. So what works here? What doesn't? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for 15 seconds. And then Justine will start reading. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to... I don't care if it's one of you or four of you, but if your worship, if your agreement and your reception would be enhanced, if you're more able to reside and rehearse and remember by standing, I want you to stand. If you need your eyes open while Justine is reading, open your eyes. If you need to be seated with your eyes closed, be seated with your eyes closed. So let's take 15 seconds. Justine is going to do this, and then Alex is going to come and do a directed prayer. And He'll tell us what to do. And again, when Alex is leading us in a directed prayer, you receive that however you receive it best. So take 15 seconds and prepare. Psalm 42. As deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. God, so... Often it is hard to grasp how great and awesome you are. We hear that your ways are not like our ways and your thoughts are not like ours. But we struggle to comprehend how much greater and more incredible you are. We get theoretically that you transcend time and space, that you're outside of all of that, that you look at time like we might look at markings on a ruler. And there will come a time when you will be through with time and you will stick that ruler in your back pocket and you will call history to a close. That is who you are. That's how great you are. And so I just ask that over these next few moments, each of us just quietly in our hearts speaking to you. Would you just hear our praise to you as we honor how great you are? And God, we confess that there are many days where it's hard for us to comprehend how unlike you we really are. Things are going good and we feel like we've got things under control. And it's easy to think that we could be independent of you, that we don't need you. But then come situations that crush us and circumstances that are so clearly beyond our control that we have no hope on our own. And we find our thoughts turning to you and hoping that there is someone far greater than us And so in just a few quiet moments here, Lord, each individual just talking to you silently, we acknowledge our brokenness and our burdens and the things that worry us and the things that weigh us down. We confess those to you now. Things that no one else knows about, we confess to you now. God, in moments like these, it's easier to see the incredible distance between who we are and who you are. And that just makes it all the more amazing that, Jesus, you bridged that gap, that you stepped out of eternity 
and into time and space and into our world and our chaos. And you demonstrated the love of the Father for us by laying down your life. And you invite us to draw near, to not let any distance come between us and our Heavenly Father. So we thank you, Jesus. Each heart, just silently to you, saying thanks. Thank you, Jesus. We know that there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you're Lord, that you are the centerpiece of human history, that you are God's only Son and worthy of our eternal praise. But we choose this morning not to wait until that moment to worship you and give you glory. Amen. So, what about that worked for you? And how could you, critically important question, how could you have taken better advantage of that moment in worship? How could you have seized that more aggressively? Our attitude is preeminent. It's critical. As we said, according to God's prescription, it's all about attitude. This is what primarily concerns him. But in a corporate gathering, we also have a responsibility to one another. So that means we have to bring the right attitude personally so that we can help one another rehearse. We have to do whatever we can to prepare, as Jerry said, fluff things up. We've got to be in the right attitude for one another. So that's why the Bible talks an awful lot about even posture. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our Maker because to the psalmist, this seemed like an appropriate position before someone who is eminently huge. It's all about doing whatever you and I can to facilitate our worship of Him, both because that advantages us and it also helps and encourages others when we're in a corporate setting. So let's do that right now. Let's set the mood, you know, like husband or or wife or, or dating couple setting the mood for the romantic evening. Let's set the mood. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. This is not a greeting time. I want you to move. Now, this isn't just one of Ed's tricky ways to get people to move forward, although I do love it when you move forward. I want you to get out of some of us, including Diane and I, some of us come and we sit in the same seat every Sunday. Or close, within one or two. So let's, let's shake that up. I want you to think about moving forward a row or two or five. Maybe if you're on the front two rows, move back two rows. If you're over here, Move to the middle or move to this side. If you're back there, move all the way up here. I want you to find just a different spot. And then we're going to get ready for another set of songs in which we try to offer ourselves to him, focusing on the words and the music. Stand and find somewhere else to sit. Okay, say good morning to the person next to you because you have some responsibility to them. We're going to do three songs. We'll do the first two quickly, and then the third one will be a new song. The first song is Jordan's Request, and it's just a song to create freedom in us. I'm free, is what we're saying. And Jordan wanted us to communicate that in worship today. The second song is that song, Forever Rain, where we're just going to talk about God and His attributes. And then the third song is an epic, awesome song where we are going to tell Him that He is the great I Am. 
And we're going to learn that song this morning. Some of you don't know it. How was it? And how could you use it differently to access your connection with God? To enhance it? And be more responsible to those around you? The substance of worship. Jesus Christ is the substantive centerpiece of our worship. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our worship. We have no access to God except through Him. I don't have time to go through all this. We'll do it another time. He shows us what the Father's like. So we get to see God up close and personal because of Jesus. When we get Jesus, worship is automatic. Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus and he falls down and he says, something heretical, my Lord, my God. You guys have been part of Gateway for a while. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the calming of the storm and the disciples are out in a boat and the seas toss them around. Jesus is asleep. And the disciples are really worried and it uses a word in there. They're afraid. So they're afraid and they go over and they wake up, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus gets up and He goes to the brow of the boat and He says, be quiet! And the winds and waves are calmed. Now, I imagine Mark records that for us and Mark got his account most scholars believe from Peter, and I imagine you know Mark is hearing Peter recount this, and he's writing this down. He's like, "Come on, what, what an incredible coincidence!" And Peter says, "I don't believe it was a coincidence, bro, because he yells and the waves get quiet." And Mark goes, "What happens then?" And Peter uses a stronger word. He says, "We were terrified because when you get Jesus." Worship is automatic. Therefore, we have to learn more about Him. We have to focus on Jesus. Second thing about the substantive part of our worship, our worship is fueled by either gratitude or hopelessness. Now, I had a lot of comments about gratitude, but I'm not going to make all of those. That's the easy part. We get gratitude when we feel gratitude, when our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude. We want to, you know, we want to thank. And when we recognize that God is the inspiration for this, worship becomes automatic. We thank Him. We're filled with gratitude. Tons of interactions with Jesus where people are grateful and what happens is worship. But hopelessness, that's a surprise, right? Hopelessness is more difficult. I chose that word intentionally. Borrowed it from someone else. But I think it describes a lot of what we see both in the Old and New Testament. Psalm 51, you know, he's broken and he's contrite. He feels a sense of desperation. And that fuels worship. I think that the idea of hopelessness fueling worship is more difficult to understand, but it's also more prevalent. So this should be a cause of hope for some of us. I was listening the other day to How Does Hopelessness Fuel Worship? I was listening the other day to a guy talk about worship, and uh, he's a worship leader at a large church in Maryland, and he said, he goes to someone one time and he says, you know, I feel so hopeless. I don't know what to do about it, and it's affecting my relationship with God. It's affecting my worship. And the spiritual mentor said to him, you're not hopeless enough. You know, the recovery people and CR people say that we only change when the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. And that's what hopelessness does. Read the psalmists. How long, God, will you let things stay like this? I've tossed to and fro. My enemies overwhelm me. How long? And that hopelessness fuels worship. Therefore, we've got to be honest about ourselves. That's a part of worship, being honest. This is why we often don't arrive at worship easily. Because we're so competent. We have so much to hope in. So we've invested hope in lots of things that aren't about God. We don't need, often, we don't need 
someone to rescue us. And that's the consistent image in the New Testament. Jesus has rescued us. We don't need someone to rescue us. We're doing fine, thank you. I'd like my life. I'd just like to add a little religion to it. And that's not the deal Jesus offers. Those of you who are familiar with you know, categories of Christians, you, you know the term charismatics. Charismatics, for those of you who know, are, especially in the 70s and 80s, the charismatic movement inspired just tremendous worship and praise. And these were the folks that were running down the aisle, Terry, going, yay, God! Well, the charismatics talked a lot about the power of praise. It has power because it points our heart in the right direction. It enables true hope. So hopelessness gets us to the place where we can be fueled toward true hope and not all of the false hopes that we're, we're trying to build through other means and mechanisms. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And we're going to try this time to go mellow. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, I would encourage you to sing the good news to yourself in your own personal worship. I think that's awesome. We're going to do a song here in a second that just how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. That'll give you hope that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. You need to be affirmed by God. Well, there's affirmation. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turned His face away from Jesus as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. That is good news. So we're going to sing a couple of songs here. We have a guest violinist and cellist. And Jordan, let's start with the first song and let's stay in our seats. Heart of Worship. And then we'll do How Deep the Father's Love. And we'll go old school. Out of reverence for the Gospel. For the good news of God's rescue. For our real hope. We're going to stand for the second song and we'll end with that. So we're going to do How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And really, I want you to try this. How does this work for you? By the way, we have a group of Chinese students who are visiting in an exchange program. They're staying this week with the Dejanis and they're at our office learning English. And one of them is an accomplished violinist. It just so happens. So she's with us this morning. And then Jordan had a friend who's a cello player who's going to be joining us as well on this set. I don't know what Veronica and Sarah were planning on doing for the next few years, but I would say they're going to have to come here. And so that may cramp your plans, Veronica. I'm sorry. We may have some political problems with Sarah, but that's okay. (laughs) We have lawyers here. Thank you, guys. You've heard me say before that we've run a little long. I'm done. But you've heard me say before, I grew up thinking that, and this was, you know, after I had a connection with God, I grew up thinking that God's Spirit was our prompter in worship. And these people up here were the performers and we were the audience. And I've come to think that that's really backwards. These folks are the prompters. We're the performers. And God is the audience. I think he's pleased.